0: Welcome to the 74th episode of It Wasn't Me, a true crime podcast where we chat about murder. I am Cindy. And
1: I'm Mercedes. Thank you for listening to episode 73, where
0: we discussed
1: the tragic death of Rachel Hoffman in a drug sting gone wrong.
0: Forewarning, our show is often horrifying and graphic, and we will use offensive language. So if you have kids, put them away for a while and join us for a murder. Also, we are passionate and always have been about true crime. But I must warn you, you might hear us make jokes and laugh quite a bit during this podcast. Want
1: to learn more about us? Visit our website at truecrime.com to find links to our social media pages. We drop a new episode every Friday morning. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform so you don't miss out. And thanks for listening. If you are even slightly entertained by our Southern charm, please leave us a five-star rating along with a comment. And if not, Reach out to us. Let us know what you think. We can do to improve. Also, spread the word and recommend our podcast to your friends and family, or even your enemies. Hi, how are ya? I'm good. Um, I'm ready for some sunshine? No kidding. Yeah, we're in the that's rainy season way over here. Yeah, lots of rain, but hey, it's a cost of paradise, I guess. <laughs> right, that's what you want to call this joint. <laughs> well, was your week all right? Yeah nothing sensational worked a couple days didn't go out of town you know
0: yeah hung out with my dog gg <laughs> all right we've had quite a few people join our uh like our facebook page this week oh awesome
1: thank yeah. you are we yeah, posting i mean you're in charge of that right yes i mean i post the i, I mean photos. i don't know they don't I they don't populate online mm-hmm. maybe i should post a little more too i don't post much I'm not a big social, I'm a lurker. <laughs> You're a poster. I'm a lurker. Like I like looking at it every day and catching up and things, but I don't feel, I don't often post. Right.
0: That's okay. Yeah. So we're back to um the capitals.
1: Oh yeah. So
0: we've done Alabama. Mm-hmm. And now we're going to Alaska. Oh, Alaska, Juneau. <laughs> yes. Now I will warn you that this isn't how we normally, you know, really kind of deep diving in one murder. So a murder happens and then the guy has to go elsewhere, a couple of different places. So it's actually more than one murder running from the law.
1: Nope.
0: Oh, okay. Well, I'm, I'm intrigued <laughs> by your title. I love your
1: titles. Always.
0: You don't know who that person is. You know, I that?
1: don't the Birdman of Alcatraz. Oh, I think I've heard yes. of this.
0: Person. Yeah. I would think. Did he have quite... like birds? He
1: collected He had critters in jail. Is that, I just listened to a podcast. Mm -hmm. I just listened to a podcast. It was really good. And I can't remember what it was, but it was, they interviewed this man who was in prison and they called him roach. And he was like, he would collect critters. Yeah. I don't really call them pets. They're more like my friends and I have roaches and I had a spider and did the bird man have birds? He, this guy had a few birds. He said he had about 12 swallows. Really? (laughs) He figured out the secret to keeping them alive.
0: Oh, oh, okay. (laughs) All right. So let's find out. You ready? Yes. All right. So like I said, we're headed to Juneau, Alaska and we by way of Kansas or we, we go to Juneau and then we go to Kansas and then we go, we end in California.
1: Okay. We're going traveling.
0: Mm -hmm, We are. All right. So Robert Franklin Stroud was born in Seattle a really long time ago. He was the eldest child of Elizabeth Jane and Benjamin Franklin Stroud. He, um, he was their first child. Although Elizabeth had two daughters from a previous marriage, eventually the family would extend into uh, six kids. Family of five extended into six with the birth of another son named Marcus in 1897.
1: Okay, that is a really long time ago. I'm like, well, you know, <laughs> some of our audience members think
0: that I was born a really long time ago. Oh, no, they don't. Why would they say? Oh, wait, your children? I think you were born a really long time ago? After the family extended into six, Elizabeth was particularly devoted, um, a devoted mother who spent a great deal of time trying to protect her children from their abusive alcoholic father. And we learned later that she really tries to protect her children from
1: now everything. Okay. So a couple of questions because I did a lot of research around this time period and women, young women would end up marrying these like really old men especially if their husband had died in the civil war, you know, I mean, this
0: time period is a little different, but how old, yeah. was
1: Robert, how old was the father, the alcoholic father?
0: I have no idea. I mean, I could look it like, up. I'm wondering old.
1: No, I'm just curious. Just nosy. Go ahead.
0: I don't think so because sometimes that, that information is mentioned and I don't um I don't recall seeing it, but I okay. didn't try to research the mom and dad too okay. terribly. Yeah. So, however, she did not always succeed, and the children were frequently beaten and emotionally abandoned by their father. Mm -hmm. Robert was greatly affected by his father's behavior and grew to intensely dislike him. Wow. At the age of 13, he disliked it so much, he left. So he ran away from home. In 1903, Robert took off on an exploratory trek across America at 13.
1: Yeah, well, you know, I, it's a lot different 13 then than 13 is today.
0: Oh, yeah, definitely. You know, especially
1: because, and and where did this start? Where where did it start? Um, Seattle. He was born in Seattle. Okay. Yeah. And, but to me, that's not super shocking just because, you know, they, they didn't have mandatory schooling or anything like that at that time.
0: Right. Learn to read it, and write. then a lot of people say that's all they need. Mm-hmm. He had a third grade education. Yeah. So obviously he was, you know, out of the third grade by 13. So he would, but he would, he would pick up small jobs. Um, He could hardly afford to eat at times and he would just travel all over the place, but he reveled in his independence. He, he loved his freedom and his life on the road. He, he was like, I can do this. I'm a hard worker and no one needs to help me. Well, Robert, huh? All right. Yeah. When Robert was about 17, he briefly went back home. His family appeared to have become financially prosperous in his absence, yet the relationship between his parents was still really bad. The marriage had steadily declined over the years due to his father's erratic drinking and adulterous behavior. Once again, Robert left home on another adventure and this time to search for work in Alaska. It would be a move that would change his life forever.
1: Wow. So I wonder what their money, what, what did they do to get money financially prosperous?
0: I don't know. I didn't, yeah. I did not look into that, but I know that later because his mother does later hire a couple okay. of different attorneys for him. So by the time he was 18, he had made his way to Alaska and was working for a railroad gang in katala alaska katala oh
1: yeah the railroad job per- so he's laying uh tracks yeah for a railroad
0: gang is that what they do i mean they and, built yeah they're like the, the ones train. that or do they go and rob trains no <laughs> no he was he was working for like a like a um some sort of company i guess okay the job proved to be very physically demanding and although it did pay very well so i mean if it's going to be physically demanding, then yeah, they benefited from you know at least making decent money. Yeah. After a while, the railroad gang was relocated to the thriving town of Cordova. It was there that Robert met and began a relationship with a dance hall entertainer and prostitute of Irish descent named Kitty O'Brien. Kitty O'Brien. Hmm. Now I did get some of this information from. Uh, you know, like always a few different articles and one was very much okay flattering towards um, Stroud towards him. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, not, not like, like mean, he's a ladies man type of thing. No, 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 no. Just the wording of the article. It wasn't like he's a murderer. He sucks. He sucks. It was more like just it gave a lot of information about him because so, he actually is pretty well known and does some things from prison that are, you know. We're not really allowed to do today, but
1: all right. I'm intrigued. Okay. So he's led astray by this Kitty
0: O'Brien. Well, I guess that's you know that depends on who you what add. the article is saying. <laughs> that's what some says, and then some are like, "Oh no, they were he, yeah. she,
1: her evil ways." Mm-hmm. That's what his mama
0: thinks. <laughs> so there are many conflicting reports concerning the relationship between the couple. Some suggest it was mostly a business liaison and that Robert earned money pimping her out. Others suggest that their two were genuinely in love and had hopes of starting a future together. Regardless, the two spent a great deal of time together and shared a common goal of making the most of their circumstances. Robert set about the task of establishing himself financially and began working a series of jobs, including a pop-torn, a (laughs) pop-torn, a popcorn vendor, and construction worker. Oh, okay, so he's he's kind of entrepreneurial, right? And he's a, a hard worker.
1: I mean, I don't hear anything bad about him um, at all yet. I mean,
0: I'm giving you a lot of background on him for a, kind of for a particular reason. Okay, one, I found it really freaking interesting. Yeah. So in August of 1908, Robert uh, ran into an old acquaintance of his and Kitty's. And um, that was from that town of Catalia or Catalia, however you say it. Um, and his name was F.K. Von Dahmer. <laughs> you know. Okay. Yeah. I don't know if he's like a distant relative of, you know, All Jeffrey right. Dahmer or not. Okay. So, he, But his nickname was Charlie. Charlie and that's what, Von Dahmer. Mm-hmm. Charlie was a a fancily dressed 28-year-old bartender of Russian descent with a dubious reputation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love that word. Mm-hmm. He was en route to his new job at a saloon in Juneau and spoke idistically of expanding the city. Because, uh,
1: uh, Yeah, he's got big goals. Dude, we can go to the city. We can expand things. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, can, I can feel the excitement. It's a yeah. business opportunity.
0: Yes, because I mean, think of it like, that the I mean, time people that it went bank in Juneau today, yes. All right, so during the early part of the century, Juneau was a booming gold town full of vast opportunities and, and potential, just like you said. The idea of moving to the capital city appealed to Robert, and he convinced Kitty to move there with him. It was a decision that he would regret for the rest of his life because yeah. less than six months later, Charlie lay dead in his college called it cottage and Robert was awaiting trial for his murder.
1: Oh, okay. So now I'm going to make a prediction that Charlie okay. and Kitty had some sort of relationship. That's well, going to be my
0: guess. That's
1: okay. My, okay.
0: All right. Well, Stroud would confront Von Dahmer and a struggle ensued and Von Dahmer would end up with a gunshot wound. Stroud would take the barman's wallet to ensure that he and O'Brien were paid that day. Here's the reason why. Because supposedly he had had a rela- had relations with Kitty, but and was refusing to pay her. Oh, And um, so Stroud went over there to confront him and then he's like slapped her around and she had like a necklace on her with like a cameo type picture thing and he ripped it off of her. So um, Stroud went over there to to confront him and, you know, so the violent go over there to kill him. I don't think so. Or just to kick his ass. Maybe just to kick his ass and get his money. But then I don't know because I don't really know where the gun came from. I don't remember. So maybe we'll learn. (laughs) Okay. He surrendered
1: himself with the weapon.
0: Yeah, that's what I was. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. So Stroud went to the police and insure and surrendered himself along with the gun. According to the police report, Stroud would knock Von Dahmer unconscious and shot him at a point blank range. Oh, so,
1: so he so according to the police, mm-hmm. the police would report. knock him out and then shoot him.
0: Yeah, that's what they said. In the beginning months of 1909, Robert's mother, Elizabeth, quickly came to her son's aid upon hearing of the murder. She retained a lawyer to defend his case and hoped that Robert would be acquitted on all charges of manslaughter. However, all their hopes were quickly dashed during the trial. So there was a new judge, you know, a newly appointed judge, and his name was E.E. E. Cushman. and He presided over this hearing. He um, was determined to make his mark on the judicial system. And decided to make Robert's case an example to those who resorted to violence in his jurisdiction. He used the full strength of the law to punish Robert. Now, I don't know if I if I took it out. I think I did because Alaska was um, still kind of like a territory at mm-hmm. this time. It was under federal jurisdiction. Oh, okay. On August twenty third, nineteen o nine, Robert was sentenced to twelve years at McDeal Island Penitentiary. It was the maximum s- sentence possible within the statutory limit. Um, that so fall, just Robert twelve was- years for murdering someone. Yes, because it was considered manslaughter. I guess maybe like it wasn't premeditated. It was. Um, uh, it was a fight, and then I accidentally. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So Robert boarded a boat headed towards a small island west of Seattle and pungent Sound. You did from the moment (laughs) from the moment he passed. I can't see that word as (laughs) Puget. I've heard it both ways, so I don't know. You have okay? Well, maybe I'm wrong. Oh, I don't know. I mean, okay. I'm usually the one that's wrong. (laughs) Well, (laughs) not always, but. From the moment he passed through the intimidating prison walls, he became subject to a new code of conduct, an unknown uh, majority of the outside world, because he didn't have any rules, really. He lived by his own code of conduct. You know, he was on that, um, the he railroad gang. Away. Well, and he ran
1: away whenever anybody.
0: Yeah, could to just... take
1: away his freedom or whatever.
0: Mm-hmm. Exactly. So now he was in a whole new world.
1: Well, and I can't imagine what prisons would be like in 1890 or 1909 or whatever year this is. Yeah.
0: Yeah. While at McNeil Island, the prison record for prisoner 1853 would indicate that Stroud was extremely difficult to manage and very violent. Now, in everything that I read about him, there was no, there wasn't anything about violence until Alaska. So I don't know if like, because... Mental disorders sometimes, you know, rise up later in males' lives, you know, adolescence, or, you know, because he wasn't very old at this time, still he was very young. On one particular occasion, Stroud viciously attacked a hospital orderly who insisted had reported him to administration for attempting to obtain morphine through intimidation and threats. He also allegedly stabbed a fellow prisoner that was involved in the attempt to smuggle um, that said, there's your answer. He was an addict.
1: And well,
0: they, their behavior changes. He was really sickly. He became, and I do add this in, in a little bit, but he, he, um, he has a Bright's disease and he is kind of sickly and in a lot of pain, but that came kind of later. Again, there wasn't get
1: morphine thing. and then through intimidation and threats. And then mm-hmm. he's trying to, and struggle. I think it's he was in pain. Yeah. But still, if he's, you know, A drug addict.
0: Yeah. So Stroud also (laughs) reportedly stabbed a a fellow prisoner who reported him for stealing food from the kitchen. Now, as a result of these attacks, Stroud was sentenced to an additional six months in prison. And on September 5th, 1912, as a result of these attacks, Stroud was sentenced to an additional six months in prison on September 5th, 1912 and transferred to the United States Penitentiary In Leavenworth, Kansas. Okay. So here's a little fun fact.
1: Is Hmm? there a Leavenworth in Kentucky? I don't know. Okay. Like Leavenworth, Kentucky? I have no idea. All right. I'm sure there's not. That was probably a stupid question, but.
0: No. So here's my little fun fact. Did you know that there are actually three prisons in Leavenworth, Kansas?
1: Well, I really don't. I thought Leavenworth was in Kentucky. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, listen, no, I knew that it was a prison because we just talked about it a couple of weeks. Remember, I told you that Mm -hmm. um, I saw my old family that I hadn't seen in years. And I learned that my uncle, when he was in, he was a military police officer at Fort Leavenworth. Mm -hmm. I thought, and they said we would meet all the time. So I just assumed that it was in, I know nothing about Leavenworth, obviously, if it's in Kansas. Mm -hmm. I was thinking it was in Kentucky.
0: Ah, well, there's actually, there's the three prisons. There's the lesser known Midwest Joint Regional Correctional Facility. And then there's a civilian prison, which is the United States Penitentiary. Then there is the infamous United States Disciplinary Barracks, which is also known as the Castle. And that is the military prison. A lot of people don't realize that Leavenworth isn't just a singular entity, that there's, you know, the two separate. No, I didn't. And the United, I put UPS, the United <laughs> States Penitentiary is the oldest of the three built on the federal land there in Kansas. Wow. In 1915, after suffering chronic pain, so I did, I, I do have it here, chronic pain, Robert was inter, interred interred Man. at the Penitentiary Hospital. In Penitentiary. Um, where he was diagnosed with Bright's disease. The disease signature is inflammation of the kidney, which can result in high blood pressure, fever, facial puffiness. And his and at six foot three, his frame grew very gaunt. Was and he alive? End-
1: because interred means to bury in a grave. Uh, yeah, he was alive.
0: Okay. So yeah. It's just a weird word. To-
1: Okay, well I just looked it up because I knew what yeah, the word it, meant. I'm like, what? Okay, sorry.
0: Yeah, it's uh it is usually like when someone mm-hmm. is buried. It's it, you know, it's that or entered into the mausoleum or whatever. And um, so he is actually really tall and skinny. And so he got like really gaunt looking and his like s- his cheeks were sunken in. He looked kind of like every time I see his prison picture, he has this. And you said Graves disease. What did you say? Bright. bright. Mm-hmm. All right. I'm going to look that up too. So he grew really skinny and really weak from all the pain and his health slowly declined. He feared that the disease would kill him before he had a chance to ever see his family again. Uh While Robert was ill, his mother traveled to Kansas um, to be closer to her son and offered assurances Uh When she learned the severity of his disease, she wrote a letter to the U.S. state's attorney general pleading for her son's release. Yet her request went unanswered. Eventually, Robert began to show signs of recovery, but he remained weak by the debilitating disease. During his recovery, he spent the majority of his time in his cell. Robert became increasingly detached and bitter because of the pain that he was suffering, which I understand that. He even began to abandon his study courses. So this other article that I was reading, he was like enrolled in all these courses, and I can't think of what kind right now. But he was trying to better his life while in there, and really enjoying enjoying himself with the, these study courses. And he was just actually taking the time to better himself. Mm-hmm. While he's in jail. even though he was apparently a real asshole. So Robert's anger and depression about his situation only was further compounded between um, him and this menacing guard, uh, Andrew Turner. Within four years, Stroud would find himself in trouble again. On March 16th, 1916, Stroud committed some trivial infraction, which was actually breach of silence. And he was reprimanded by this Turner, this guard. This small, like little break of silence. Um and him like writing him up or giving him that infraction would um result in his visitation privileges being revoked. And his brother, who he hadn't seen in eight years, wasn't able to come see him. Oh man. So he was enraged. So enraged. Um, let's make everything worse and stab the prison guard in the heart with a six-inch shiv
1: that's actually the way to do it, I guess. If you run, yeah. typically run from your problems, at least you're facing them. Yep. None
0: so I looked up, even though I knew what a shiv was, I still, I liked my little fun fact. Yeah. <laughs> so a shiv is, you know, mostly it's an improvised knife, but I thought a shiv and a shank might be different because I, somewhere along the line, I thought there was a difference. I think they're the same, aren't they? They are, yeah. yeah. It's just an improvised knife, but the shiv is derived from the Romani word. Cheval okay. meaning knife. Okay, fun fact. <laughs> fun, fun fact. So Stroud was convicted of first degree murder and sentenced to death by hanging. However, his sentence would be overturned by the Court of Appeals, but he was convicted a second time on May 28, 1918, and received a life sentence. So he was found guilty and not given death. But the solicitor general for the United States, John W. Davis was like not having that. So he submitted a confessed error. And I I had to look that up. So
1: a confessed error. Okay.
0: mm -hmm. I thought maybe, oh, well, somebody made a mistake and they confessed it. No, that's not what that means. A confession of error is a legal practice whereby the Solicitor General of the United States in his or her role representing the federal government before the Supreme Court of the United States admits a lower court incorrectly decided a case and it is thereby sent back for reconsideration. By confessing error, the Solicitor General declares that the federal government's position, which prevailed in the lower court, was wrong. All right. So,
1: um...
0: so he gets a new trial. Right.
1: Okay. So the lower court erred. That's basically yeah, you're saying what, that what it all wrong. means.
0: Okay. Yeah. So due to this confessed error, no, this was an, to...
1: on appeal. Correct. So he appealed, and the higher court said, "Yes, you're right." You're well, right. he
0: no, he was a he ha, he appealed. They sentenced him. They're guilty again, but they sentenced him to life. The solicitor general didn't want him to have life. He wanted him to be okay. hanged. So. He said they got it wrong. You need to try him again.
1: Oh, so now he has to have another trial.
0: A third trial. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So due to this confessed error, uh, Stroud was tried a third time in May of 1918. He was found guilty again. And on June 28th of the same year, he was sentenced again to death by hanging. All right. Well, his mommy was not having that either. So she appealed to the president of the United States, Woodrow Wilson. <laughs> and the execution was halted on April 15th, 1920, eight days before it was to be carried out. Stroud's sentence was then commuted to life in prison. Okay. Leavenworth's warden, T.W. Morgan, was extremely upset and opposed the decision due to Stroud's reputation for violence. Before the execution was halted, Stroud was to spend the rest of his time in solitary confinement. Right. So Morgan was able to persuade the, uno- the president to stipulate that Stroud would spend his commuted sentence in solitary confinement.
1: Oh, my God. I would rather be dead. I don't I know. Think. I like solitary confinement. I mean, honestly, yeah. I think I would be okay with it. But uh, a yeah, lot as of as people. as
0: it wasn't like a dark hole, I would be okay. Yeah.
1: I mean, as long as I had books and paper to write or something, I would be okay.
0: He's going to have company. Okay. So before. Like,
1: may I just ask a question first?
0: Mm-hmm. Where's Kitty O'Brien in
1: all this? She's just out of the. I have house. no idea. She just disappeared I didn't... in her own little.
0: Yeah. I left her in. in she left her in Juneau. Okay. Yeah. It didn't even cross my mind to find out where she That's went. okay. <laughs> I can just imagine. Yeah. Right. So before the Birdman of Alcatraz, there was the Birdman of Leavenworth. All right. In 1920, Stroud found a nest with three injured sparrows in the prison yard.
1: Hmm? Okay, wait. I wonder if that roach guy found this guy's story and is telling it. Maybe. All right.
0: Go ahead. So in the prison yard, he, um, so he found these injured sparrows. He was allowed to raise them to adulthood. There was a time when prisoners were allowed to buy canaries. Oh. I, this was all news to me. I didn't know anything about this. I found it strange, but maybe it's like, uh, like therapy for prisoners. Cause you know, the jail that we have here in Ooh, our they county, dogs. Uh-huh. county, they have dogs. Yeah. So the women's jail, they train them.
1: Yeah. So do the men, I think the men's does too.
0: Yeah. Oh, I, mean,
1: I know that they're, and then they give them away. I think, um, I actually listened to a podcast on that too. Yeah, this is, um, but you know, now the roach guy said that it's not like it's considered contraband, contraband. Yeah, probably living creature in the cell with
0: you. Yes. And I think it's probably because of this guy. So (laughs) Actually.
1: Oh no. I hope he doesn't do anything to the birds. But what I'm thinking is if if you have an angry person and that person loves an animal, that's going
0: to kind of change that person's heart a little bit. I would think so. I mean, like I said, maybe it's like his therapy. So Stroud had started to add birds to his collection to occupy his time. Oh, my God. He's the bird man. Right. Like the cat. Right? Lady. So he would raise them and sell them for supplies and to help his mother. Oh, so he's helping pay her back? I guess. I mean, she probably spent all our money on the lawyer fees. So according to Stroud, he used a razor blade. Not something a violent person should have. Nails. Probably shouldn't have that either. And he made his first well, birdcage out of He's got crate. a hammer if he has nails, right? Or maybe he hammered them with the wood crates, and I, mean, I don't know. Okay, and they didn't say anything. It just said nails for tools. He had a razor blade and nails. I guess he figured it out. So soon after um, Leavenworth's administration changed to a William Biddle who took over as warden impressed with the possibility of presenting leavenworth as a progressively a progressive habilitation penitentiary he actually biddle actually furnished stroud with cages chemicals and stationery to conduct his oh i don't know how to say this word ornithological ornithological activities <laughs> visitors were shown stroud's aviary a- Aver- aviary aviary and many purchased his canaries wow He's like their little sideshow over the years. He raised nearly 3,000 canaries in his cells, wrote two books. You know, that the- I have a friend,
1: uh, Biddle. I'm gonna ask her if maybe this man is somewhere along their line.
0: I mean, that's is progressive rehabilitation. Well, I don't know. So, he wrote two books: The 6,000 Word Treat. Treatise? Treatise? Mm -hmm. Diseases of Canaries, 1933, which was smuggled out of Leavenworth and later edition Stroud's Digest Digest on Diseases of Birds in 1943 with updated specific information. Wow. He made several important contributions to the avian pathology, most notable a cure for the hemorrhagic septicemia. Hemorrhagic. I could say it in my head. I just couldn't get it out. Hemorrhagic that word, which is That's basically a skepsis, and it's basically a, a family of and a family of diseases. He gained respect and also some level of sympathy in the bird loving field. I wonder if the guy who wrote it was like a bird lover. <laughs> well, who wrote what? Oh, who wrote what? the one article that oh, was like so yeah? Because like, yeah, it's
1: very flattering, like you said to towards him. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, with third a third grade person. with a third grade education, I mean, that seems rather.
0: Yeah. And I do cover, I do tell you a little bit about that too. So Stroud's activities created problems. So Stroud's activities created problems for prison management. Also, according to regulations, each letter sent or received at the prison had to be read, copied, and approved. Stroud was so involved in his business that this alone required a full-time secretary. My God. Additionally, most of his bird, most of the time, the birds were permitted to fry, fry, fly, free. <laughs> they, to fry freely within the cells, <laughs> to fly freely within his cells, I like because my he story. ended up with two, he ended up with two cells. Wow. And because, right, because of the great number of birds he kept, his cell was filthy.
1: Oh, man.
0: I bet his cell was disgusting.
1: Oh, listen, my mom had a bird and. I really, I don't know. I'm the kind of person that I love animals, but I don't want a bird in a cage in my house. I don't want to like disrupt them from their natural environment. I don't want like an animal like that in my house, but she had one and that's, you have to clean that cage every single day. Mm -hmm. No, it's not like a litter box where you only have to clean it once or twice. You have to clean it, you know, once or twice a week or whatever. Right. But I don't have cats either. I don't
0: either. I don't do letterboxes. In 1931, an attempt to force Stroud to discontinue his business and get rid of his birds failed after Stroud and one of his male correspondents, a bird researcher from Indiana named Della Mae Jones, made his story known to newspapers and magazines. A massive letter campaign and a 50,000 signature petition sent to President Herbert Hoover resulted in Stroud being permitted to keep his birds. And despite prison overcrowding, he was given a second cell to house them. However, his letter writing privileges were greatly curtailed. Jones and Stroud were... Group Very close. And she even moved to Kansas in 1931 and started a business with him selling medicine for birds. Avian medicine. Yeah. Prison officials fed up with this bullshit. um, And their um, publicity intensified their efforts to transfer him somewhere else. Stroud discovered a Kansas law that forbade the transfer of prisoners married in Kansas. All right. To this end, he married Jones by proxy, which infuriated the prison's administrators, who would not allow him to correspond with his wife. Mm-hmm. His mother was not happy about this either. Prison officials were not only were not the only ones perturbed by Stroud's marriage. His mother was also incensed. She had um, a close relationship with her son, but strongly disapproved of this marriage to Jones, believing women were nothing but trouble for her son. She wasn't wrong.
1: I mean, so she, now she thinks that all women are going to be bad for her son. Just
0: given his first murder. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she felt like it was probably the lady's fault, you know? Yeah. He's not responsible. You know how those moms and boys are. Yeah. Not my precious baby. Well,
1: I would definitely believe it could be any one of my three precious babies. (laughs) (laughs) And you know what? I'm just like, okay. They're great Mm -hmm. people. They're great people. They may not be living my dream for them, but I have to let that go.
0: They are great. Whereas previously she had been a strong advocate for her son, helping him with his legal battles. She now argued against his application for parole. So she doesn't want him out now. Ooh. Yep. She became a major obstacle in his attempts to be released from the prison system.
1: Wow. Why would she do that to her
0: son? Mm-hmm. She moved away from Leavenworth because she had like moved there uh-huh. and refused any further contact with him. And she died in 1937. Wow. I bet that probably angered him and made him a little bit more bitter. In 1933, before his mother died, Stroud advertised in a publication that he had not received any royalties from the sale of his diseases of canaries in retaliation. The publisher complained to the warden, and as a result, proceedings were initiated to transfer Stroud to Alcatraz, where he would not be permitted to keep his birds.
1: So the publisher complained to the warden, and then now and the warden said, oh yeah,
0: just move you out.
1: Yeah. So well, in the they, end,
0: how did they, could they move him if he's married? I mean, they didn't care that he's married. Uh, they just started that petition again. Okay because he, he found a loophole and they were like, well, we're going to keep on trying. Okay. In the end, he was able to keep both his birds um, and canary selling business at Leavenworth. So it didn't work. Stroud mostly avoided um, trouble for several years until it came to light that some of the equipment that Stroud was requesting for his lab was in fact being used to make, ho- was a homemade distillery and he was manufacturing alcohol.
1: Damn, he's entrepreneurial still. Still,
0: officials finally had their their loophole and that they needed to get him out of there. Citing his dangerous tendencies and longstanding concerns about the sanitary conditions of his cell, they initiated proceedings to send him to Alcatraz once again. On December 19th, 1941, Stroud was transferred to Alcatraz Federal Penitentiary and became inmate number 594. He reportedly was not informed in advance and that he was leaving Leavenworth and his beloved birds and was given just 10 minutes before notice before his departure. Wow.
1: His,
0: yeah. His birds and equipment were sent to his brother as Alcatraz strict policies meant that he was unable to continue his, his, his bird work. Hobby,
1: yeah. Wow.
0: He spent six years in segregation and another 11 confined to the hospital wing at Alcatraz.
1: So so he was mentally ill, is my guess. Why would he be in the hospital wing?
0: Uh, well, you know, mm-hmm. he, he was sick too, you know, with the pain mm-hmm. and stuff. And in 1943, he was assessed by a psychiatrist, Romney Ritchie, who diagnosed him as a psychopath. Okay. Now, I saw three different IQs for him, and two were close, and one is way higher. So he said he had an IQ of 112. Although the initial report in 1942, based on Leavenworth, what Leavenworth had was that he was an had an IQ of 116. But another article said he had a reported IQ of 134.
1: Okay, so average to high average. Yeah, yeah.
0: While there at Alcatraz, he wrote two manuscripts: Bobby and Autobiography and looking outward a history of the us prison system from colonial times to the formation of the bureau of prisons i was a, i just bit myself that was like so many words a <laughs> judge a judge ruled that shroud had the right to keep writing and to keep such manuscripts but upheld the warden's decision to ban their publication
1: all right i mean and i'm okay with that he murdered people he shouldn't be yeah making any money off any sort of publication at all.
0: But I think now they just can't make money off their story of their whatever they're in prison for. Mm-hmm. So like they can, OJ. So they could write, write a, a
1: song book. or whatever and get it published or yeah.
0: Right. But like OJ was barred from writing his version of what happened while he was in prison anyway and making money off of it. Even though that would have been a way for him to pay back his debt to right the Simpsons and the Golden Goldman's. After Stroud's death, the transcript transcripts were delivered to his lawyer, Richard English. Rumors of So Wait a minute, because I missed where he died. How did he die? It just said after his death, he just died. Okay. And I do kind of go back a little bit. But um, rumors of Stroud's homosexuality were noted at Alcatraz. According to Donald Hurley, whose father was a guard there, Whenever Stroud was around anyone, which was seldom, he was watched very closely as a prison, as prison officials were very aware of his overt homosexuality tendencies. In an interview with Hurley for his book, a former inmate, heard Stroud was always in dog block, solitary in confinement, or later in the hospital because he was a wolf, aggressive homosexual who had a bad temper. Oh, oh, w- and
1: It could just be a rapist, too. I mean.
0: Yeah. Ugh. In February 1963, Stroud met and talked to actor Burt Lancaster, who portrayed him in The Birdman of Alcatraz, a movie. Stroud never got to see the film or read the book that it was based on, but did share one of the problems that he, that prevented parole, that he was admitted, an admitted uh, homosexual. He thinks that that permitted him getting parole. Mm -hmm. Lancaster quoted Stroud as saying, let's face it, I'm a 73-year-old. Does that answer your question about whether I am a dangerous homosexual?
1: Okay. Well, I mean, I mean, people can be dangerous whether they're homosexual or not, but
0: or that's the reason they're not
1: letting him out. That's not right.
0: No. So during his 17-year term at Alcatraz, Stroud was allowed to access the prison library and began studying law. Occasionally, he was permitted to play chess with one of the guards, he began petitioning the government that his long prison term amounted to cruel and unusual punishment. In 1953, with his health failing, Stroud was transferred to the Medical Center for Federal Prisoners in Springfield, Missouri. So he doesn't That's, make it Yeah, out.
1: 1959. I think you said 1953. Say? It's okay. Oh, okay.
0: However, his attempts to be released were unsuccessful. On November 21st, 1963, Robert Strull died at the Springfield Medical Center at, at 73 years of age, having been incarcerated for the last 54 years of his life, oh of God. which 42 were spent in solitary confinement. He wow. lived a long while. Wow. Yeah. It sounds like a mean now, Mm -hmm. He did leave behind quite the legacy. Stroud is considered to be one of the most notorious criminals in American history. Robert Niami, sure, states that Stroud had a superior intellect and became a first-rate ornithologist, sure, and author, but was extremely dangerous and a menacing psychopath. That sounds bad. He was disliked and distrusted by his jailers and fellow inmates. However, by his last year, Stroud's behavior had improved and he was viewed more favorably. Judge Becker considered Stroud to be modest, no longer a danger to society, and as having a genuine love for birds. Given his level of notoriety, the crimes he committed were unremarkable, especially as the assaults um, as as he committed had a clear cause. This other guy, clearly uh, Greek, Carl sniffoki, I don't know. How do you say that? Snifakis? Snifakis? Yeah. C- c- sure. So this Carl guy considers Stroud to be a brilliant, self-taught expert on birds and possibly the best-known example of self-improvement and rehabilitation in the U.S. prisons.
1: Now, I will definitely agree with that. Because, I mean, you have all the time in the world to observe these little birds and,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, when they die, you can... Look at their bone structure and their wing structures. and I Yeah.
0: I mean, there's no telling what he was doing. Like, all that that time. In mm-hmm. mm. Because of his contributions to the field of ornithology. Did I say that right? Mm-hmm. He gained a large following of thousands of bird breeders, poultry raisers who demanded his release. And for many years, a committee, a committee to release Robert F. Stroud campaigned to have Stroud released from prison. However, because Stroud had killed a federal officer, his punishment in solitary confinement remained intact. In 1963, Richard English, a young lawyer who had campaigned for the John F. Kennedy for John F. Kennedy in California, took the cause of securing Stroud's release. He met with former president Harry S. Truman to enlist support, but Truman declined. He also met with senior Kennedy administration officials who were studying the subject.
1: Huh.
0: English took the last photo of Stroud. Um, in which he is shown with a green visor. The warden of the prison attempted to have English prosecuted for bringing something into the prison. And, and he did not take out the exposed film. So like unexposed film, he, oh, I'm sorry, the authorities declined to take any action upon Stroud's death. His personal property, property, including manuscripts were delivered to English. And I, and before the birds were at his brothers um, as this last representative, who who later turned over some of the possessions to the Audubon Society. Wow. Stroud became the subject of the 1955 book by Thomas Gaddis, Birdman of, or Birdman of Alcatraz. Gaddis, who strongly advocated rehabilitation in prisons, portrayed Stroud in favorable light. He was ad- um, This was adapted by Guy uh, Trostper. Tr- for the 1962 film of the same name. It starred Burt Lancaster as Stroud, Carl Malden as a fictionalized and renamed Warden, Thelma Ritter as Stroud's mother, Betty Field as his wife, renamed Stella Johnson in the film. However, former inmates of Alcatraz say the real Stroud was far more sinister, dangerous, and unpleasant than the fictionalized version portrayed in the book and film. One said he was a vicious killer, and I think Burt Lancaster owes us all an apology.
1: Right. And, you know, that goes to that question is, you know, is an evil kind of person, can a murderer have some good traits about him? Or I don't know what I'm trying to say here, but are they
0: just evil through and through?
1: Right. So we should just discount every single thing. Great thing that that person did in their life because they're a murderer.
0: Mm. Mm. I mean, he, he didn't commit one murder. You know, he didn't, you know, he committed three, four you know, he stabbed a couple of people who might not have died, you know, early on. Right. right. You know, so, I mean, he was obviously. I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I didn't put it in here, but there was also a few songs written, inspired by him that were in a couple of. So movies, the you know, even that was video the- games that pay homage-, homage to him. Really? Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, you know what? You make a mistake in society. You can rehabilitate yourself I guess but if you keep making the same I don't know it sounded yeah. me, to me like almost he didn't like people coming around him um I don't, I don't know I don't know maybe I'm making excuses for a murder <laughs> are you gonna post the picture of him on the website um did you find okay. it did you say you saw a picture of him
0: mm-hmm. yeah you can do that for me
1: I'll do that. I'll post a picture of the bird man of Alcatraz. All right. On our website. Okay. All right. Well, thanks. Cindy. Right.
0: <laughs>
1: and thanks everybody for joining us this week. We appreciate sharing our passion with you and we thank you for your support. If you'd like to support us even further, please consider subscribing to our podcast and giving us a five-star rating and a comment. Your subscription and ratings are essential to our success. You can do this on your favorite platform. For more information and links to our Facebook and Instagram, visit our website at crime.com. Please recommend Please. It Wasn't Me. Oops, that's your go.
0: <laughs> Please recommend It Wasn't Me to your true crime loving friends and family. Also, thank you to our Patreon supporters. You are the extra. You too can become one of our beloved patrons by signing up at patreon.com forward slash It Wasn't Me pod. Thanks again, guys. And remember, It, it wasn't, wasn't Me. me.